The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today I have with me, literally sitting across the table from me, Kirsty Scully. Um, Kirsty is a good friend and someone that I look up to in this industry for setting the, the standard or the bar in what do we do? And I know I just said industry instead of profession and Kirsty's going to point that out for me. And it's someone that really lives out that ethos of the valuable work that we do. Kirsty. Thank you for being here a second time after our first recording <laughs> didn't make the, the air or some technical problems. But I'd love to unpack a little bit of how you got into financial planning because I know you had a very interesting start and we can explore the work that you do right now and what you see the future. But tell us, tell us a little bit how you got here. Yeah. Well, actually, I've been in the profession now for about 32 years, and you're absolutely correct. I'm going to crit you on saying it's not an industry, it's a profession. And I'm absolutely proud and passionate about the profession which we work in. Um, but I've been in the profession for about 32 years. I started years ago with um, some people remember Southern Life, probably a bit before your time. Um, and I was in the Unitrust company involved there. Um, and from there, I've worked for just two or three other companies along the way. Um, I'm not really not going to go into the detail about them but um, yeah from more from a marketing perspective where I was a business development manager um, bringing in business for an asset management company and then about oh gosh probably about 10-12 years ago I decided it's time to up the game a little bit more did some more qualifications in the process completed my postgraduate diploma in financial planning wrote the board exam and became a certified financial planner and for for over 10 years now I've been working specifically with individuals um, as a as a financial planner, and um, I specialize in investments. So that's kind of my day to day is talking to people about their investments, how to grow them, how to set goals to achieve them, or whatever the case is. Yeah. Can we talk about that part where you said, okay, I want to up the game. Mm. What went into that thinking process? How mm. did you get to? Oh, okay, the next clear step for me is to study towards a postgraduate diploma. What else did you consider? And just Talk us through that thinking process. Yeah, uh, what I did was because I had previously done um, a, a, a 
a good qualification in business management, I decided that I actually wanted to go more into the actual financial planning side. So, and I forget the order that they were in, but the one was the, I think the certificate in financial planning, the other was a certificate in wealth management or something like that. I did that. That was basically over a two year period. I did that. And then I went into doing the postgraduate um, diploma over, over, over another two years. I didn't, didn't do it all in one year. And um, yeah, I just decided that I really needed to do it to be able to offer my clients um, a much a much better solution to their financial planning to actually have that knowledge. I felt that I'd lacked it. Um, I'd been working mainly on the asset management side, so my knowledge there is very strong. Um, but I wanted to actually be able to understand the taxation more of investments. I wanted to be able to understand just the psychology behind investments, and I've I've always felt that that is very very important. Yeah. What's the aspect that surprised you the most going through your studies that you thought, oh, I'm really good at this. And then going through the studies, realized, hey, there's more to this. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, probably just even talking about psychology. I mean, I studied initially when I first finished school, I studied something totally different and the psychology was involved there. And then when I went into financial planning, I just realized how important it is to actually understand people. Because although people, others think I, I just deal with numbers all day long. I don't. I deal with people all day long. I deal with their emotions all day long. That is much more important than the than the numbers. Because quite frankly, that's what a power plan is there to do: sit and work the numbers. And I just sort of pass on what the actual numbers are as as such. Um, but it's the psychology between but about understanding what goals are important and important enough to make as the primary goals that you want to put. You know, when you want to start putting, you can't put aside money for everything. We kind of goals. Well, not not many of us, shall I say. Can, can necessarily achieve every single goal, but we can start by working out what is the most appropriate goals. And so for me, it's very important to work on my clients' goals for fun. Can we talk a little bit about the, that goal setting process? What do you take a client through? How do you help them prioritize their goals? Because mm -hmm. remember now we have financial planners listening to this conversation that might want to help their clients to visualize their goals better, to prioritize, like you rightly mm -hmm. said. You know, mm. we can do anything, we can't do everything. So how mm. do you help yes. your clients to select and mm. rank and mm. just prioritize mm. and figure out this world of scary futures? So for me, the first and most important thing is to make sure that you have sufficient money for the future. I've avoided the word for your ret retirement. Okay. And the reason why I've avoided that is because so many people, especially young people nowadays, they immediately say, oh, I'm never going to retire. So, you know, harping on this thing about retirement is not necessarily the right way to go. Talk about it for the future. When you can't work any longer because maybe you, you're not well enough to work, maybe you're done with working, maybe you, you've got grandkids and you actually rather want to have fun and enjoy your grandkids, for example. It's at a time when you're no longer generating a, what is called a traditional income, like a salary or however, you know, you're generating your income. So it's for a later stage. When you, so I think that is priority to, to decide on how much you're going to need in the future. And I work that based on what are my, what is the person's existing expenses? What is their lifestyle like now? Okay. And we, and I go through a full, um, exercise with people about going through exactly what it costs them to live now. 
Um, in fact, I have a couple of columns. We do the, I always get them to do the column on their own about what it costs to live now. And I make sure they've got everything included. And then my next column is just the typical sort of risk on the risk side saying, okay, if your spouse wasn't there, how much would you need? But then more importantly, my next two columns, the, the, so column number three is saying, if I was to stop working and I'm going to assume the person is maybe, you know, 55, 60, 65, that sort of age. So they're still healthy. They're still well enough to do things, but they're stopping their main form of income. What, how much do they need to live on at that stage? So we take their existing. In fact, I just move the column across. I copy the, copy the column, paste it into that column, and then I start changing the numbers. So hopefully by then they've paid off the home loan so we can scrap the home loan. By then, hopefully the kids are grown up. So you don't, don't have school fees anymore. You can perhaps reduce medical, a medical, um, scheme expenses because you don't have the kids on it any longer. But, don't reduce your medical expenses because we all know as, as we get older, it gets more, more expensive. So I have this whole column, which is, uh, I'm going to use the word retirement here. It's your, when you go on to retirement, when you first go on to retirement, you're still healthy. You're still well enough to be traveling overseas. You're still well enough to be going out for, for dinner at restaurants and all that. You're having a good life. What is that going to cost you? We need to understand in today's value what that is going to cost. And then my final column is, in the event that you're either in frail care or you are in a situation where you have nursing at home. Now, if you do the numbers, it's much more expensive to have nursing at home because basically you're going to have to have a nurse. You could have at least two nurses, one sort of a daytime, one at nighttime, possibly even have a third one for just a swap over of shifts as well. But in addition to the cost of the nursing, you're still paying your own rates and taxes on your house. You're still paying security. You're still paying all sorts of things. Um, but on the other hand, if you were to go into a frail care, you would reduce quite a number of those expenses. If you, you know, I've done a lot of work with elderly clients who are in frail care, and it's certainly cheaper to have them in, in even a very good frail care as opposed to still staying at their own homes. So um, I do that costing. So at the end of the day, I'm sitting with, you know, what does it cost them to live now? I fully understand that. My second column is what would it cost them to, under, to, to live if their spouse wasn't available to be supporting them as well? Third column is, as you go into retirement, when you're really still enjoying your life, what does it cost then? And fourth column is in the event of frail care. So Chris, you really get your hands dirty mm. going into the numbers. You say, okay. let's let's delve into this. Do you find that clients are apprehensive to doing that or, or talking Not through at all. the numbers? Not at all. In fact, they love it because it really gives them a good understanding. Now, some of them don't love the actual admin behind doing it and trying to work out what what is petrol costing or what what is food costing. Some of them don't like that, but it they really if I think they find it quite um I don't know what the word is, but quite fulfilling to know that they now are understanding what it's costing them to live on a monthly basis. And I always say, let's just do all the figures at today's value. Don't worry about you thinking about what it's going to cost with inflation in 20 years time. I do that sort of thing. That's my, that's my part in the business. Um, but it really gives them a good understanding. Um, quite often the husbands go, no, I can't believe it. It does not cost us this to live. Well, the wife goes, 
this is what it costs us to live. You want to prove it, and then we have like a little Barney in the in the office there as to exactly what it's going to what it does cost. But and quite often the wife is the one who's more accurate. In fact, <laughs> so do you get them to buy into this process and say, okay, now they go and do it at home and bring the numbers back? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm not a product salesperson, so I'm not here to sell them products. I'm here to give them financial advice. I can't give them financial advice mm-hmm. if I don't know what it's costing them to live. You know, I've got to be able to see what it costs them to live versus what their income is. And then when I know what it costs them to live in that sort of type of lifestyle, I can work out what it's going to cost them to live in the future. And therefore, we need to start saving for it. So getting back to your question, how do we set goals? The first goal I set is ensuring that we've got enough money for future, for retirement or whatever you want to call it. Okay? This next chapter, the next whatever chapter that in your be. life when you stop working. Exactly. Mm. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is then we start saying, well, what do you guys like to do? We want you to achieve this. And you know, if you, it's, if, if you don't set a goal, you ain't going to get there. Okay. So I tend to talk about goals. You know, I mean, it's, it's goals like, mm. oh, do you want to pay off your house? How quickly do you want to pay off your house? Do you want to be buying a second property? What do you want? What sort of size property would that be? Do you want to be buying new cars? When do you think you need new cars? Is it every four years or every five years or every 10 years that you want to replace your cars? We've got to be able to put that into, into the, the big picture. And then the niceties in life, you know, is it, is it okay? Do you want to take the family overseas? And then we start discussing, well, how old are the kids? Oh, the kids are only two or three. I look at it now, I mean, be, being a mother, I can go back and I go, well, qu- to be quite honest, it is a waste of money taking a two or three year old overseas. They'll never remember a thing. Leave them with granny and grandpa and you go and enjoy your trip. Saves you a lot of money and you have a very different experience as well when you're not traipsing kids around. So, you know, we have discussions like that about what does it actually cost to go overseas? How often can you afford to do it? How often do we want to do that? But it all comes in a list of priorities when we set these goals. Other people have other goals, and I love to try and make them as practical as possible. So, I, I mean, I'm just thinking of one that I did a while back, a particular lady. She is desperate to retire and buy a caravan and travel South Africa for a couple of years. So what what I did in her financial plan is I got a picture of a caravan and I put it there in the financial plan so she can see this. This is this whole thing about seeing your goals. It's not just written down or not just in the back of your mind, oh, I want to buy a caravan. She's actually seeing that picture, I want to buy that caravan. And she's feeling it. Um, and from there we can see, well, a caravan is going to cost X amount, whatever it costs now to buy in a few years' time. It's going to therefore cost X amount based on inflation. That's how much she needs to save. It becomes achievable when you start drawing pictures and you start working on it like that, as opposed to people who just say, oh, well, I'm just going to put all my savings into one pot. I don't believe that. I'm I'm very much into having different savings for different things so that you are able to stick to those goals and achieve them. I can hear how excited you get on your client's behalf, right? They can visualize this. (laughs) We had a conversation earlier in the office around maybe getting someone to use a Pinterest board and just pin some of their ideas and start thinking about what could be possible. But you're making it even more practical, saying, let's look at the numbers. How many of your clients expect them expect that they can actually afford to reach their goals? Mm. Well, that is the sad reality that there are a number of clients who can't because we actually get stuck on the first point. Mm. Are they saving sufficient for future? And because they aren't, we've got to push that up to such mm. an extent. You can't, you can't buy the sweets mm. if you haven't put bread on the table. It's the same sort of concept. So we need to ensure that people start early with that saving for their future and then 
Let's start seeing where can we put aside other money and, and get those goals going. If you don't have a goal, you're not going to achieve it. Um, and, it, you know, there's all sorts of studies that have been done that you achieve a goal much more if you have the picture of it. So I did another one recently. A client wanted to go overseas and she gave me the, I think it was Madrid or something like that she wanted to go to. So we had a picture of Madrid. But if it's wherever, if it's France, put a picture of the Eiffel Tower, you name it, whatever it was. A Disney, visual reminder. Do Disney. Um, yes, exactly. Make it a visual reminder because that is a much, um, a much better way of actually really getting yourself to focus on achieving that goal. This is wonderful, Kirsty, and you're making it a lot more practical for financial planners listening and saying, what can we do? I know we once had a conversation around debt and how you help clients manage their credit card debt specifically. Mm -hmm. Would you care to share some of the stories of interesting things that you might have done mm -hmm. to, to help clients, specifically ones that are tempted to dip mm -hmm. into using the credit card for mm -hmm. unnecessary mm -hmm. expenses? Yeah. Well, let me say at the outset, I have a credit card. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a credit card. I think it's actually in today's day and age, from a safety perspective and all that, and from all the sort of different bells and whistles that come with it, I think you can actually do quite well having a credit card. It's how you manage it. That's the issue. So in my case, I'm a firm believer, and I encourage my clients to do this, that uh, you use a credit card by um, literally being able to pay it off every month. Okay. Some people will even go to the point of saying, well, actually, I've worked out I'm going to spend... 10,000 Rand, $10,000 or whatever the amount is. And they put it in their credit card at the beginning of the month and then they're using their own money. I love that way of doing it. But of course, you know, technically it doesn't really make total sense because you could be getting the money free without paying interest, but that's a whole nother point in itself. But the point is that whatever you use on a credit card, you must be able to pay it off by the end of that month. Okay. So you essentially are using your credit card almost like a debit card. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Um, because otherwise it, it gets out of control. We all know how easy it is, you know, especially with buying things online now. We just, we just put the credit card number in there and it's, and it's done. It's so easy. Um, but I am always weary of that. Uh, but I think, I think what we have to look at for, for, as financial planners is ways to help people pay off their debt. Um, home loan debt is, is one thing that's one side. And as long as they are paying hopefully more than the minimum, I think that's good. Um, but it's the, the short-term debt, the credit card debt, the store account debt. We've got to clear it. We've got to get rid of it. Um, and I work very hard on ensuring my clients are getting rid of that sort of debt, any of that sort of short-term debt, the um, closed close store accounts. You, you're never going to make money. You know, um, that's never going to be a good thing to have. So get rid of those sorts of things. And quite often I've had to put in place an actual strategy for us to get rid of it. And it, that strategy might mean that they can't be saving any money at that time. But we'll go through a process of, say, over a six-month period. It depends on the amount of debt. Obviously, it depends on the amount of debt. But maybe it's over a six-month period. Maybe it's a one-year period that we go through the process of working exceptionally hard just to get rid of that debt. And I, I work on, you know, the amounts that's there. Sometimes we consolidate debt just to make it a little bit easier on the mind than having debt all over the place. Sometimes it's easier to have that thought of it's only in one place. And that would obviously, you'd be wanting to consolidate wherever the interest rate is at the lowest. So we consolidate it there and then work on how can we get that paid off in a in either six months or get it paid off over a one-year period, whatever the case is. Um, but 
no, at that stage, it quite often means that they can't be saving for anything else because we just want to work hard on that. Um, so yeah, that's the sort of thing I do. I also go through people who are really struggling on, um, managing their finances. I have had to go through with a number of clients. Uh, years ago, we used to call it the envelope system. Now you can, years ago we called it that because we literally worked on cash. So if, for example, just take a totally random figure, your food for the month costs 4,000 Rand, then you would literally have your 4,000 Rand in cash and put it into four envelopes of 1,000 Rand. And you only you go to the shop with that one envelope and that's all the money there is. It can't be more. You can't spend more. You're not going with a credit card. You're not using a credit card anymore because we've we've had to cancel that. In fact, to the point when it comes to canceling credit cards, I've had to look after clients' credit cards in our safe at work just to help them to discipline themselves to not use it. Um, but so yeah, the the envelope system has worked quite well from a perspective of just that's what there is to spend on. And I'm using food food as an example. You could have another envelope for entertainment, um, and so on and so forth, just to try and um, discipline yourself throughout the month so that you don't spend any more than you should do. So now it's a little bit more difficult because we don't tend to use cash to the same extent. So you have to, there are apps that you can use to do it. Um, and, and, and you can use those to, to try and ensure that you're not spending or, or keep an Excel spreadsheet or whatever, or pen and paper, whatever works for you, you know, um, just to know that you're not going over that amount. And when you get to the end of that amount that was allocated as an example for food, you go and you look in your cupboard and you find that packet of soup or that tin of tuna that you didn't really feel like having and, and you eat that, you know. That's so true because mm. physically touching money and actually taking out that, counting out the amount of notes and paying that over feels a lot more impactful than oh, just yes. tapping your phone or swiping your card. I remember because oh. my first paycheck, I missed the payment run somehow. I think they forgot to add me on the system and they wrote out a check for me. And so this was a cash check that I had to go and take to the bank. I think it was the, was the net bank in the foreshore area. <laughs> And they physically paid out notes. Now, it wasn't a big amount of money, yeah. but that was the most amount of money that I ever had yes. in person. Yes. And I felt rich. Yes. And taking that money out and having to pay yes. for it, there's an emotion behind it. There's yeah. a, a physicality. And yet now it's so easy just to tap. Yeah. And it can be 50 yeah. rand, it could be 5,000 yeah. rand. You just tap. Yeah. How do we create more friction in terms of our everyday spending? I mean, you've mentioned now the kind of the envelope mm. system. Is is that mm. something that's still practical? Personally, I still think it is practical. Yeah. I think if the situation is bad enough, I think you should do that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does cost to draw mm -hmm. cash out, granted. Um, but I do think that it is one of the ways that it helps people to discipline themselves to ensure. The other thing is don't keep going to the shops. Discipline yourself. You go once a week, for example. Okay, some people will say you go once a month. I haven't quite mastered that one. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I know practically the more I go to the shops, the more I spend. And quite frankly, the more the cupboard actually gets fuller and fuller and fuller. And, you know, at some stage, just open your cupboard and find what is in there still, because quite often there is still food in the cupboards. And it's just that, oh, no, but I didn't feel like that tonight. Well, you know, if, you, if you're sitting with a, f a financial issue, you need to start feeling like it. Takes yeah. a bit of planning. It takes, takes a bit of planning, yeah. Being so, practical and so, intentional. Yeah. Do the shopping list thing where you actually write a shopping list with exactly what you need and ensure you don't go 
buy anything other than that's on the shopping list. And and that's very tempting because you kind of see all these specials. Now, I I mean, I'm a person, I will, will look for when, the, when there are specials and I will buy those specials. If it's things that are like typical tin of tuna as an example, I'm just a wild example there. But, you know, if they aren't special, get a few because you're going to save yourself, over, uh, you know, in the long run by, by being able to do that. But you can only do that when you get to your, get to the financial situation that you have that flexibility with your money. And if you are really in the doldrums with your money and you haven't to go through the envelope system of of only you know buying once a week. You've got to get yourself back into that good scenario before you can start looking further ahead. I mean, if we're making it this practical, have you had any experience where you've had to work with debt counselors or debt consolidators? And mm. if so, what has that experience been? Mm. Well, I don't personally work with them. I I had somebody I used to refer clients to, um, to to help them go through. But no, that's not really my market. No, because I feel like sometimes clients need a bit of direction. They need to be told what to do, but then other times it doesn't always work that way. It's hard going. People don't want to hear it. Okay, they just don't want to hear it. But if I can think of the examples of people who have listened. They're the ones who thank me. Years later, they are still thanking me. Thank you. you. I had one just, just last week in an appointment. He said, thank you. You got me out of our debt. My, it was actually his debt before they got married. We set that as a, as, a, as a deal. Before they could get married, he had to get rid of the debt. And I mean, I think it was at that stage like 30,000 rand. But, you know, that can be quite a lot of money to some people. And it took, them about, it took him about six months to get rid of that debt. And still last week, he was thanking me for it. They'd been married for a number of years already. It is really good. To, it's it's so refreshing to not have debt. I mean, and this is the impact we can make in our clients' lives. Absolutely. Mm. What what stands out for you in terms of client experiences where you felt that wow, as a, maybe as a business or maybe as a mm. person or maybe it was another financial mm. planner that really made a difference in someone's mm. life. Is there anything well, that comes actually, to mind? Well, th- actually, there is something that, that I think is very important that, that we certainly do at Core Wealth. Um, so for those who are listening, the business I'm involved in is called Core Wealth Advisory Services. But we have like a little division, which is called Core Wealth Cares. And we have a staff member who runs this. So Core Wealth Cares was started year, years back. We looked at it and... Um, some people don't know, but I, I was widowed a number of years ago. And um, so I was able to really put my head around this whole thing. And if you imagine, uh, it wasn't necessarily my, for me because I was very young when I was widowed, but for, for perhaps an, an older lady, when, when she's widowed, she is so vulnerable. Absolutely. She's vulnerable to so many things. Security is a massive thing. Being ripped off with different things is a massive thing. So we started Core Wealth Cares really with... I'm going to almost say our old ladies in mind, okay? But it has gone further than that. So if you imagine she's now left on her own, the washing machine breaks. Now, unfortunately, we live in a country where you can't just open your door to anybody to come and fix your washing machine because are they safe? Are you going to be safe when you do that? So what we've done is we've got a, a lovely gentleman who runs Core Wealth Cares. And when one of our old ladies, for example, needs her washing machine fixed, he will go to her house and he will bring in two or three people who come and quote, and they'll have a look at the washing machine. They'll say, well, it's going to cost this, this to fix. And then along with her, they'll choose which is the best quote. And he'll be there when that person comes to actually fix the washing machine as such, which means A, she's been looked after from a security perspective, but B, there's somebody else watching to make sure that she's not being ripped off. So there's an example. Um, we use it for if you if you wake up in the morning, your car battery's flat. Oh my word! Now how are you going to get to the place 
to get your battery fixed. You know, he will sort that out. He'll come and fetch you, sort out the battery, quickly put it in for you. Something, you know, simple, simple like that. Um, trips to the airport. A lot of people battle with that sort of thing. They want to go and visit their friends or family overseas and they can't get to the airport because they don't, they don't have anybody who can take them. So he does that sort of thing. Um, another thing he does on a regular basis, in fact, he's got a client, one of our clients, who every Friday he takes this couple out for lunch to a restaurant. He doesn't join them for the meal, but he transports them and he waits for about two hours outside the restaurant. And when they're finished, he takes them back home again. And that's just part of the service that we offer clients who need that sort of service. It's taking financial planning to the next level. And that is what we do at Core Wealth. Wow, Kirsty, that's wonderful. And it, what comes to mind is kind of a concierge service, what yeah. you would see or expect from a nice hotel. <laughs> I was going through the Johannesburg airport and it struck me how all the banks are using the airports as a way to add services to their clients. Yet we don't see financial planning firms do this. We don't see that often financial planning firms do what yeah. you just mentioned. Yeah. Is there is there industries that we can borrow ideas from or kind of use to influence us and improve our service? You know, like you said, beyond financial planning. Mm. What else is there that you think we might be missing? Well, I suppose, I think for me, I work, I work, my main, the main clients I work with are doctors. So I look to the medical profession for a lot of things. And I think, and this is such a generalization because not everybody is ethical, but I see so many ethical people in, amongst the doctors that I work with. And I think that is something we need to borrow if I can call that, as a profession. We need to bring more ethics into it. This is not just a case of getting your CPD points for those those number of uh, ethics points that you need. <laughs> those four or five ethics this points. Is, <laughs> this is, we're doing it because we need to be more ethical. Um, and I'd like to see that happening more. I'd like to see financial planners working more with people and their emotions, not just what product can be sold. I'm absolutely anti the, the whole feel of a product being sold. We need to be selling, and I don't even like to use the word selling, I may add. We like to be, we need to be, uh, basically instill solutions that work for our, for our clients. And those, those are involved with psychological solutions as well as the monetary ones that go with it. On this topic of ethics, what would a more ethical financial planner do, for instance, that, that we could borrow from the mm. medical field? You know, what, what would that practically look like? Is it just putting our clients first before our own profits? Is it having yeah. different types of conversations? Definitely different conversations. Because so many financial planners are heading their, con their conversation to products. They might not give the name of the product or anything like that, but they're actually heading it towards. They're just thinking, what product are we going to use here? And that's not the case. You need to, it's, it's what solution are we finding for this client's problem? Mm. Okay. And the, the, this client could have various problems. Their problems are what to do with our short-term money. Their problems are what to do with my long-term money. Their problems are what to do to ensure we don't have unnecessary estate duty in, unnecessary executor's fees, those sorts of things. So what solution are you creating for your client as opposed to what product are you selling your client? Uh, and that solution might include a product or it might mean removing a product. Absolutely. And yet when we go to conferences, we hear things like advice-led sales and we hear words of targets and 80 yeah. to 90% of new financial planning entrants don't make it through the industry. Mm. 
or the profession. Yeah. I think that's a big part of them yeah. is working in, in the industry. How do we get this shift to solutions? Is it the handful of practices that are saying th- yeah. this is the way or is there another well, way first, of firstly, tackling it? Firstly, you need to go to different conferences. You need to go to conferences that are not sales driven. There's the point. It's because when they are sales driven, that that is when we focus on products. Okay, you need to go to conferences where we learn about dealing with our cli- with our clients mm-hmm. and them as individuals. If it was your mother, mm-hmm. if it was your granny, you were dealing with, how would you how would you be dealing with them then? Would you be dealing with them in a different way? That's such a nice way of putting it. Almost saying, you know, if this is a really close family member. If it hits home, mm-hmm. how would you want them to service your clients? So, if you had a list of wishes for financial planners or you had to give a friend a checklist that they could use in terms of looking for a financial planner what what would be on that list Mm. for you well uh you know i'm a certified financial planner so i will obviously be pro using a certified financial planner um if you if if i went to see if i had a heart problem i wouldn't go and see my gp i'd go and see my cardiologist so i'm going to suggest that one should look for something like a certified financial planner although i'm not putting down other designations but if you are wanting the specialist it needs to be a certified financial planner so that I think is the first thing and then yes to find somebody I mean you know you, you go on reputation um, you know f- find out who, who other people are using uh, get get referrals uh, look at companies such as if I look here in South Africa companies such as 91s companies such as Alan Gray they have a preferred provider list look at those those people who are on those lists are not just there because they came into the came into the profession yesterday they've been around the block they've been doing it for a long time and those companies have checked out the work that those uh, financial planners are doing they don't just put those people on the list so they they come with a good reputation so that's the sort of thing i would look at but then you need to be asking yourself or asking them other questions how does your fee structure work um are you how are you incentivized are you incentivized by commission? Are you? Is that all you're going to be earning? Commission? Because then you've got to start saying, sure, well, clearly they're going to want to earn more commission. So they're going to try, possibly try and sell me something that's going to pay more commission. So are they not rather um, able to charge a fee, a consulting fee? So for me, I always charge a consulting fee to my clients because it keeps me absolutely neutral. There's the fee. It doesn't matter where we place the business. I'm going to give you recommendations for where you could, but it has no impact on how I earn. So there's no conflict of interest there. A consulting fee for me is what's most important. So I'm prepared to pay a consulting fee for somebody to give me that advice, as opposed to somebody who's just going to earn a commission. And you expect it when you go to the doctor or the specialist? Absolutely, of course, of course, exactly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go to your lawyer or you wouldn't go to your, 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 your doctor and expect them to give you that advice for free. So why come to me? So, Christy, would that be uh, yeah. an hourly fee? Would that be a project fee, a planning mm-hmm. fee? How do you practically implement that? Mm-hmm. And are you flexible? You know, just like we wouldn't negotiate with our GPs yeah. and say, oh, but you prescribe this medication, will give me a yeah. discount. On yeah. mm. Talk us so, through that. So, what I do is I have a set fee that I charge for a full financial plan. All right. Um, and I go with that. And if they're not prepared to pay it, then I'm also not serious about their money. All right. So that's how I view it. If they're not prepared to pay the fee, it's because they're not serious about their money. So I'm serious about their money. So they need to pay me to do that. So it's a set fee I charge for a full financial plan. I do sometimes have clients who go, well, actually, there's just no way I can afford that. 
Okay, then we have to start. Then it's a case of well, what part? What part of the advice do you want? I mean, it's like it's like going to see a gynecologist, and you say to the gynae, well, "Could you? Sorry, can you give me a discount?" Well, sorry, do you want me to only check the one boob? I mean, that's what it actually is, if you think about it. So. I have to actually say to the clients, well, what don't you want then? Do you use that example? With I've clients? used that example of many occasions. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's like. You know, yeah. what what don't you want me to do then? Yeah. Um, and sometimes there are, look, sometimes it's, it's fairly simple where we can cut, down, cut, mm. cut back. For example, if the person has got group benefits, okay, um, at work, well, then I probably don't need to be looking at income protection. Mm. That's going to save me a lot of time if I don't have to start in quotes all over the place. So I'm prepared to say, well, it's going to save me time, so therefore I don't need to charge for that. Mm. So um, there's, there's a perfect example. Or maybe they are on a medical aid already, and we now don't have to go through the whole process of trying to work out which is the most appropriate medical aid for them. Then maybe we can cut a little bit there. Um, so there are mm. times I'm able to charge a little bit less. So generally, it's a set fee for a financial plan, unless we are cutting out certain things, then we'll reduce the fee. Um, and then the other thing is sometimes I have people who come to me for specific things, not a financial plan. They're coming to me specifically for budgeting. Mm. Okay. I will then charge them an hourly fee to, okay. you know, okay, I'm going to sit, sit with you for an hour and we're going to talk about it. You know, you have to pay for my time, unfortunately. Somebody's got to pay for it. So so we do. I do charge per hour, yeah. Something that I've often thought about is where do we see industry standards that a certified financial planner could be charging as an hourly fee, especially when we're looking at maybe staff members like benchmarking? Mm. How do we compare what we should be paying people? Is that something you've come across? Mm. And do you have a number in mind mm. that you think a fair fee would mm. be mm. as a certified financial mm. planner to charge? No, I'm not going to give you any numbers because each company is going to come up with their own numbers. Each each yeah. financial planner will come up with their own numbers. Um, we have at Core Wealth, we've spent a lot of time working through what what does it actually cost us to give that service. Um, and I can tell you it's more than you think. Um, and if if clients were to see how much it costs, they would be they'd be mind blown um, as to actually how much it does cost in all our staff members' time. And you know when you start adding everything into it, if you start adding the rent in, if you start adding the photocopy machine, if you add it, the the online services that we offer, it costs it does cost a lot of money. So we have come up with what we believe is a cost is an appropriate cost to charge. Um, but again. You know, you sit, it's a difficult one. You, you, you youngsters, when they've just started first, first, um, you know, first job, might, might not necessarily have that sort of money to pay. But then what we've done at Core Wealth is we do have some more, some younger, um, advisors who can, can come in at a lower cost. So uh, again, I guess it's the same. If you, if you've seen a lawyer and you see somebody who's more experienced, you're going to pay more for them than you're going to pay for a junior lawyer. So it's, it's good. It works the same way with, with us as well. So that's great when you've got a business that's growing, when you've got people coming into the business, younger, well, less experienced financial planners, they might yes. not always be younger, that can charge at a lower rate. Correct. But we see that that doesn't always happen. You know, a lot of independent planning practices add very few new planners in. How do we start bringing that model into the mm. the mass market where yeah. we have a thousand new people joining maybe one of the insurers? How do we yeah. get them to start thinking this it's, way? It's incredibly difficult because it's this whole thing about commission. You, um, in, in, in this profession, you generally only earn if you are selling something. 
Okay. And if they can't sell something, it's very difficult. So I was in a fortunate position when I started advising clients. I had saved up some money already. So I had saved enough money to provide myself with an income for a year, although it was a very minute income. It wasn't it wasn't what I really needed to live on, but it get, kind of got me through. And so that is something, you know, if you can build up a bit of cash to actually just fund yourself for a few months or for a year or so, that will then allow you to start getting into that a bit to charge um, a, a consulting fee. And of course, a consulting fee, it, it, you know, is paying, is paying you upfront. At least it's paying you something, uh, whatever you, whatever it is that you charge in. Um, and if it's a younger person, you know, I mean, what, I don't want to really name numbers, but maybe they're charging 5,000 Rand for, and, and they could, they could do four financial plans a, a month. That's 20,000 Rand already. That's more than a lot of them are earning from commission in any case. So, get into it. The quicker you just get into it, the quicker you'll make the su- success of it. Um, but it is a, it, it is really hard in the beginning. I can't deny that. Um, but get going. But you possibly just need a couple of months leeway to be able to actually do it. Yeah. Is there any legislation that limits the amount we can charge no, there's for financial no, planning? No legislation that limit, limits it. Nothing. And, and there's no recommended amount either. So that's why each company comes up with their own, their own figure. And, um, I mean, even then, yeah, the, the, the amounts vary extensively. When I hear what some of our colleagues are charging, I'm thinking, oh my word, how do you have the, the guts to even ask that amount of money? Um, but, I think at the end of the day, you've got to be just comfortable. I've got to be comfortable with being able to ask for the amount. So if I, if it was a massive amount of money, I would never be comfortable to ask that. So I guess it goes with a person's self-confidence as well. Maybe I don't have sufficient of it, but, um, and yeah. sometimes we perceive our own value or what we contribute much less than what clients think. We've had, yeah. a, we've started in the business showing clients what we earn on an annual basis. And we started at the top and it was super scary showing our, our, one of our biggest clients how much they paid us over here. And he said, great, I have a lot of friends who wouldn't pay that, but I believe in the value. Not what I expected to hear, but so relieved to hear that our clients believe that they get more than what they pay. So maybe a big part of this is our, our mindset as financial planners, or maybe not the same as someone that have accumulated wealth and that needs guidance and advice how do we get past something like that where Mm -hmm. maybe you haven't experienced what your clients have gone through you haven't built up the assets that your clients have built up what right do we have advising them on their lives yeah i i funny enough when i first well it wasn't really when i first i'd been in the been in the profession for a few years already but when i was really young and i was probably in my mid 20s and i was trying to advise people at that stage i found it really difficult because kind of the people with money at that stage tended to be and this sounds like a huge general generalization but tended to be the 50 plus year old male so he's like looking down at me as oh you little girl 25 years old how do you know but our I really firmly believe that if you are well qualified, you have the ability to speak well and to be able to convince 
through not just facts and figures, but through pure experience. And I can talk through about financial planning through pure experience, the good and the bad times. So I do think that that, that helps. But I think what you've got to be able to do is you've got to be able to convince your clients that by investing through you, they should be able to get a better return than investing on their own. And we have seen this over and over. In fact, I actually had an example yesterday and we all know the market hasn't been great, but um, the the client had had invested in one RA on her own, and we had been investing in the other one, and there was a difference of four percent in in return. We 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 got four percent higher than what she was getting in 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 you know investing it for herself. But the problem was that there was going to be this penalty to actually move the money from the from the company to where we were recommending. But if when we looked at the size of the penalty, it was less than 1% of the actual value of the investment. But we were getting 4% higher. So it, it's, it's an absolute no-brainer, you know, move the money. Um, even though, like I think in that case, it was like a, a 9,000 rand penalty that she was going to have to pay. It was worth it. To pay that, still got a number of years till retirement, than to than to actually just leave it. So you've got to be able to prove that, but also be able to prove other things. It's not just all about the performance you're going to get on a on an investment. It's about how you are also benefiting your client from a tax perspective, from that sort of thing, other financial planning aspects. So it's a case of are they in the correct structure? Should they be in an endowment or a sinking fund? Or should they be in a, an ordinary unit trust investment? And that's going to depend a lot on their taxes and their need for the money and that sort of thing. Or should it be in, uh, should you be putting more money into a retirement fund or should you be putting it into a tax-free savings account? And, you know, then you can kind of go on that debate and, and start looking at what is more important. When should you be using a tax-free savings account? Because, yes, it is great that that you don't pay, having, that there's no tax on that, that investment. But unless you've got more than about 400,000 rand saved in a cash investment, you're actually not paying tax on the interest in any case. So, you know, you've got to look at all those sorts of things. Um, and so I think that there's huge value in not just the performance of the underlying funds, but in what we can give them in the structure of the investments that they, that they make use of. I love that this is such a collaborative approach with your clients, not planning at them, but pulling them into the process and saying, let's figure this out together. Let's debate it is one of the words that you used. Absolutely. Kirsty, what does the next 10 years look like in in this profession? Um, Mm. What do you see Mm. playing out? Right. Interesting one. I still see it as a very much a people person profession. Okay. So uh, I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, you know, um, what are those called online, you know, online advice robo and all this robo advice. I'm, I'm not concerned about robo advice because robo advice will literally just put you into, into a, a product. It's not necessarily giving you a solution to your situation because it cannot possibly understand you as a person without a doubt. So I would still, if I was a client, I would still be looking for that one-on-one interaction of somebody who's really going to understand me. So I do not feel robo-advice is a threat to, to our profession, to those of us who are doing the profession well. Okay. I think it's a threat to people who sell products. And I think it's a wake-up call to people who are just selling products. If you are only offering products, you're not offering a solution. You're going to be taken over by that robo 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. So, from a the next ten years, that's what I that's what I definitely foresee. Um, I also think if you look at the markets now, I think there's huge value to to be bought to to be to invest in now. I think valuations are particularly low sitting here in South Africa at the moment, and um, I think it's a good time to be investing. The rand is always a always a challenging one with it being as weak as weak as it is at the moment, but hopefully if we, if we're going to see it uh, strengthening again. In the not not too not too far away, should I say? I think we'll probably see the rand strengthening again. And if we see it strengthening, great opportunity to get more money out the country to be able to diversify. Because yeah, I mean that's a whole other point in itself. How well are our clients diversifying? Are you diversifying your clients across different asset managers? And once you're diversifying them across different asset managers, are you di- diversifying them a- across different asset classes? And then are you di- diversifying them in geographically? So there's so many things to think about. As so, Kirsty, long gone are the days where financial planners sit back and play golf all day and just uh, <laughs> provide a product. And I can hear and see your passion in actually providing client solutions, working yeah. with them and getting them into a better financial place. Yeah. I think what I, what I, what I almost love is when I, when I meet with somebody for the first time and firstly, my, my first appointment is normally two hours long. It's a long appointment because I have to understand that person. So I'm not being nosy when I ask about who the kids are and what, where the kids are at school and all that. I'm understanding that family and their dynamics. Okay. Because I've got to get that to be able to really put in, in place the psychological side of financial planning. But what I, what I always love is when people come to me and then they say, Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me all these questions. Oh, I don't even have this information with me. And that is so often the case. I think people think um, we're just going to invest for a retirement annuity. I'm not going to ask them anything else. But no, we've got to look at so many aspects. And the biggest aspect is we've got to start looking at goals, how they're going to achieve their goals. And that they actually get excited about. And when they leave, they all say, this was great. You have made me think so much about different things. I mean, most of them don't even think I'm going to ask them about their wills and what's happening in the event of the death. What are we, you know, when are the kids going to inherit it? What age do, do they, should they get it? And should we split that date that they get the money? and all that so you know there's so many so many many things that we think we, that we actually discuss in the meeting and I think people come across quite sort of shocked as like wow this is what a financial planner does they're not just somebody who sells a product I look forward to that day where clients expect it where clients expect to be talking about themselves and their hopes and their dreams and not just ending up with another product Kirsty, thank you so much for being here. It's been wonderful and your passion really shines through in what you do. We didn't even touch on your work uh, with the Financial Planning Institute as the chair, but I think the work that you're doing is living out uh, what you stand for. And thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Now, at the end of the day, you know, we want to ensure that financial planning is there for all. Yes for all, um, different levels of financial planning, because not everybody needs integrated financial planning, but we do want to ensure that there is financial planning for all. Um, and uh, yeah, there we are. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Pleasure.